Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Way. Back again with you guys for another episode of our Press Box series. Very happy to be joined by Kai Karnak. How are you doing, mate? You good? You well? I'm good, mate. Thank you. Back. Thanks for having me back on, even. No problem at all. It's good to see you, and uh, especially after another Arsenal win, but just becoming quite a nice regularity uh, for us at Arsenal. Uh, you at the game, right, on yesterday? Or, yeah, yeah. yeah it's enjoyable, I'm sure it was. Yeah, Vicarage, it's my first time at Vicarage Road. Nice stadium. Um, actually, that's a lie. I used to go there when Saracens used to play rugby there when I was a kid, but first time back for about 15 years or something. So, nice. it's, uh, yeah, it's a nice, nice, nice stadium. Obviously, nice performance, uh, made it even nicer as a trip. Uh, in-person press conference as well, which was cool. So we were actually in the room mm. with Mikel Arteta as opposed to over Zoom, which is nice because things are sort of starting to get back to normal a bit in the world, that kind of stuff. And also, you know, the world's returning to normal and Arsenal actually start playing vengable type football. Mm, yeah, there were some really nice pieces of play. Um, obviously, the, the first opening goal from Erdogan in particular was, was just such a a brilliant piece of, of technical skill. The the link up play with with Mabin Saka throughout was just so consistent and was clearly our biggest threat on that right hand side. Camera at the end. I mean there was a great image at the end of the game uh, on on the Sky Sports feed of just camera with his hands on his knees, just like panting for breath because he'd just been run ragged the entire game. Um but do you, I mean looking at those two in particular, Saka and Odegaard, they do look like the the fulcrum of Arsenal's attack for the next however many years now, didn't they? They're just seeming to get better and better. Yeah, it's literally just a case of can Arsenal hold on to them because I can't see any reason why they're going to be out of the side anytime soon. They're both pretty durable. They don't seem to pick up too many injuries. Obviously, their quality is the most important thing. And you see what they're adding to the side down the right. You remember last season, Arsenal was such a left-sided, biased side. Everything went down the left through Xhaka and Tierney. Now things have changed because Erdegaard has really revolutionised that right-hand side. Um, mm. It's interesting because earlier in the season, Erdegaard was on the left and it was Smith-Rowe on the right. And since Arteta sort of flipped the two around, I think it's really got the best out of Erdegaard. And he's, he's just come out with some quotes, actually, I was reading just before we came on, saying how much he's enjoying it, how much uh, he feels this is the, the closest-knit group he's ever been a part of. I mean, coming from Real Madrid, I don't know how much that really is saying but you know it's, it's a good sign that well, he's been at a fair few clubs to be fair that's very true very true yeah he's been at, he's been at, he's been at enough for most players in a career but i think he's benefiting also from the fact he's found a home um arsenal mm. have given him the confidence and the security i think he needs i guess it's like any walk of life if you're new if you're the new kid in school things are going to be a little bit difficult and you're not going to be able to impose your personality on the on the situation as much as perhaps you would when you feel you're a bit more secure, you've got your feet under the table a bit more, that kind of stuff. And he's formed a really good partnership with Bukayo Saka down the right. Obviously, it helps that they're two excellent players, but their understanding with one another is, is so exciting. And yeah, I, I really think that's probably the, the greatest strength of this Arsenal attack right now, which is fascinating when you consider that pretty much up until, uh, I'd say, September, we were all complaining yeah. Arsenal attacked too much down the left. Things changed very quickly. Yeah, they really do. And I mean, the left-hand side in particular is looking, you know, it's looking a bit weaker. It is looking, um, it's got a couple of issues. Tierney's form has not necessarily been as high as, as what we've come to expect. I, I put that down a bit to him not necessarily gelling with Martinelli as much as he did with, with Emil Smith-Rowe. And Martinelli himself, you know, he got on the score sheet, but I wouldn't say it was a standout performance from what we've come to expect from Martinelli. It was a great finish for his goal, but there is a little bit of a sense of wanting more and Smith-Rowe hopefully will be back for that game against Leicester and it'll be interesting to see who Arteta chooses after obviously Martin Lee scoring but 
not necessarily having the best game. Yeah, I felt pretty sorry for Emil Smith-Rowe. Obviously, the club confirmed he's got COVID-19, which is very unfortunate, but um, it seems that he was in line to be involved. Obviously, Arteta said the whole squad was available apart from Tommy Asu in his pre-match press conference. And then we got the news that he had COVID shortly after the team news was revealed. So, yeah, I'm hoping that he'll be back for that um, for that game against Leicester. I think he offers something different than Martinelli, like you're outlining there, just in terms of Martinelli's a little bit more direct. Smith-Rowe comes in field a bit more and is a bit more involved in the build-up. That said, can I imagine Emil Smith-Rowe finishing the way Gabriel Martinelli did on on Sunday? And that's not to say Emil Smith-Rowe is a bad finisher, by the way, but mm. it's the kind of goal that I think only Gabriel Martinelli would score of the current players in the Arsenal squad. And yeah, it's a really, really good finish, a really good goal. And look, if a player's not playing well, the rest of the team is playing so well that he even scores beside, like regardless of that, mm. that's a very good sign, isn't it? So Arsenal's attack is looking... Pretty damn good at the minute. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think I, I my my only thing is just trying not to get too carried away because obviously Arsenal only just made it into the top four yesterday officially, and yeah. the games in hand do look very sort of positive on the on the leaderboard, but it can change very quickly. So I'm just trying to sort of keep the leash on myself from from getting too carried away with it. But it's it's looking very very promising at the minute, and yeah, things very much on the up at the Arsenal. You talked about the goals that are going in. They weren't going in for a certain striker. Uh, I say striker. Striker is a loose term these days of Alexander Lacazette. He's kind of uh, an enabler of our wide players right now. But he got two assists. And I think that the record of seven assists in nine games, the last player to do that was, of course, there's not many prizes for getting, but it was Meza Ozil who managed that. Um, it's an interesting role. It's an interesting kind of position that he's playing. There's, I think that the the Erdogan chance that he set him up where it was clear that Erdogan could have taken a shot on his left foot, decided instead to set up Lacazette, is a kind of a bit of a show that the team are clearly desperate to try and get Lacazette these goals and get him onto the score sheet. And there's that, again, togetherness being shown. But he's still proving how important he is for this team. Yeah, he was really trying to use a polite phrase, uh, cheesed off with the fact that he didn't get his goal <laughs> on Sunday. You could tell. I think there was a chance when uh, Tierney got to the byline, he could have crossed it straight into him and yeah. he didn't, and Lacazette lost it. And I, you don't really see Lacazette like that very often. He's, he's normally pretty uh, pretty supportive and positive on the pitch. But he was he's clearly frustrated. And I think he was disappointed when he was coming off. I think he felt he should have had a penalty. And I probably agree with him. I think he should have had a penalty for that foul by Cathcart um, when it was still 3-1. So those kind of things... Do need to go for you. That said, Lacazette, uh, his his finishing, yeah, it's it's a problem. But while he continues to contribute to the rest of the team, I don't think anyone really minds too much. He himself doesn't seem too happy about the fact that he's not scoring. But I think the rest of the team are, are very happy with the with the work he's doing. I think Mikel Arteta is very happy with the work mm. he's doing, and it's it's interesting that whenever he's asked, Arteta doesn't seem to be closing the door on an extension for Lacazette. I, I know that he can't really come out and say Lacazette's going to leave in the summer. We don't want him beyond the end of the season because God knows what that would do to Lacazette's motivation, yeah. even though he's obviously been very professional this season. But at the same time, um, if he keeps playing like this and he keeps sort of bringing the best out of the players around him, then you do wonder if there is scope for an extension. I, I don't see him going for a one-year extension personally I don't see why he would when he can get more security at his age he'll be 31 at the end of the season he can get more security elsewhere so I think that would maybe make a bit more sense for him to to look for a move but if Arsenal can keep a hold of him for one year maybe two at a push I think that'd be some smart business just because of what he offers to the team and how well he makes those around him play. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that when you look at a player like Lacazette that does so much for the for the team, he's clearly becoming much more of a, not more of a likeable character, but you can understand why he is such a likeable character in the side mm-hmm. and what he does for the team. What's interesting going forwards is, is how that role will change in the summer. But as you mentioned, Arteta talking about the possibilities of sitting down at the end of the season and speaking about possible futures. If it was a case of a two-year extension or a one-year extension being offered, do you think that is the right move or do you think it would be better for Arsenal to kind of cut the cord with this and move on to that next stage? Um, it depends because I, I, you don't know at this moment what strikers are going to be out there and how much they're going to cost. So Arsenal potentially will be in the in the market for two strikers if Lacazette leaves and Eddie Nketiah leaves. So that's going to cost a lot of money if you want to bring in two top quality strikers at the level Arsenal are going to want to bring in. You're, you're mm. talking about one really elite striker, which is sort of the 60, 70 million pound mark. And then beyond that, if you go and sign a second striker, he's probably going to cost between 30 and 40 million. You're looking at spending over 100 million pounds on two players when Arsenal do have other areas of the squad they need to improve. So I wouldn't put it past them. They have given contract extensions to players who have seemed to be on their way out in the past. Granit Xhaka was a good example in the summer who seemed to be on his way to Roma and then was given an extension to protect his value. So it, it can happen. That said, I'm not sure if it will just because of the age, like as it is. Um, yeah. Arsenal made a lot of decisions based on age curve, based on um, resale value. And there doesn't seem to be much of that in the decision to to offer an extension to Lacazette. Personally, I'd look to do it. I think it would be a really smart move to keep him around for one, maybe two more seasons in terms of the example he sets for the younger players, his popularity around the squad. And also, if you're looking at a, a second-choice striker next season, let's assume Arsenal bring in a first-choice striker who we're all happy with and sort of that golden um, thing com- comes in the summer and we're all delighted. Lacazette as a backup, you're not going to find too many better players in terms of what he's willing to offer to the squad, his professionalism, his work rate. That's really important, and Arteta really values that. So, yeah, I'd look to keep him around. I, I really like Alexander Lacazette. I, I, I personally have always been a big fan of him. I know there are plenty of people who are quite critical of him, but I think in terms of what he brings to the team and what he offers to this side, Arsenal have always looked a better team when he's up front. So, for me, I'd look to mm. keep him stay. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there is a really strong argument for the Lacazette side of things. I think it would depend on who is available in the summer, who we can get in the summer. If you told me that we can go and get, say, two strikers to move forwards, I'll be all over it. But if it is a case of Arsenal can only go and get the the single striker, it would make so much more sense to keep hold of Lacazette for at least another season, if he's open to it. Because that's the big factor in this, is we don't really know what Lacazette's intentions are. Arteta talks about how he's playing like someone who would like to stay but we don't know his real intentions we know that Leon and, and in particular their president Jean-Michel Olas is very keen on bringing Lacazette in in the summer from his own words and the fact that he's tracking him and and, and wants to try and make that something that will happen in the summer but it's going to take time before we get a better picture and, and that'll probably be at the close of, of the current season. Interestingly though, uh, while we've had a few absences in particular uh, Tommy Yasu being the main one, Smith of course being unfortunate, but Cedric's played in the last four games, I think, on that right-hand side. And we've won all four. Uh, it's, it's not like he's dragging us back or costing us any results or anything. And to be fair, he's playing well. I thought, to be fair, yesterday, especially in the second half, was probably one of his weaker performances of the four. But, you know, he's come into the side and, and really given everything that we need. So when you consider that he's still got, I think, what, three years left on his deal at the end of the season? Because he signed a five-year contract when he signed from Southampton. Was it three or was it four or five? I thought it was five. Right. But... It might be four. Let me just double check. Absolutely. Go for it. 
it's fine. He has at least, let's say, at least two years left on that deal um, come the end of the season. But there's been so many Arsenal fans, including myself, having called on the club to to try and upgrade and, and get a better kind of depth player in that position, kind of equivalent to what Nuno Tavares has provided, uh, provided at left back. Is there evidence now that he can do that role and can provide enough quality and depth for the team moving forwards and maybe we don't need to attack that position as much as, as we have done previously wanted to? Yeah, I've just had a little and check. Is it two my, years? Two years, yeah. I just had a little yeah. check on my spreadsheet, so two years. But um, I've never been someone who subscribed to the, the theory that Cedric is this awful player who should never be anywhere near the Arsenal team. I think I personally don't think I'd have him as the first choice right back at Arsenal, but in terms of someone who is part of the squad and who's probably not going to play every game, I'd look to keep him around. I think he's a really good professional. I think he's a good influence on the younger players. I think he's happy, not happy, but he's willing to play that role of uh, the backup. And he's, he, he does it pretty well. So um, you won't find that many players who, who do that. And obviously, I think the main argument around whether Arsenal should go and sign a Cedric backup comes from the stylistic thing with Tomiyasu. So mm. he's a different player from Tomiyasu. Tomiyasu is obviously a bit more defensively minded, although we've seen him go forward a little bit more before his calf injuries. Um, I think Tommy Asu can come in field a little bit more, maybe a little bit more technically secure. But Cedric has shown that he is, apart from maybe yesterday, where I think I agree with you, he did have some poor moments defensively. He's been pretty solid against good players, against Wolves. Um, Brentford didn't really offer too much in attack, but I'd, I'd definitely say both those two games against Wolves, he was pretty impressive. So listen, mm -hmm. I think unless the, the right player is out there uh, for Arsenal to go and sign a right back right now, I wouldn't necessarily look to do it. You've also, it's worth remembering that uh, Brook Norton Cuffey is a very exciting young right back coming through uh, the Hale uh, sort of setup right now. He's on loan at Lincoln, scored this weekend. So who knows where Arsenal will be in another season's time. So if they hold on to Cedric beyond the summer, then maybe that'll be a different case. I personally don't know. Um, I, I, from what I've heard from sources close to Cedric, his focus is very much on Arsenal and staying with Arsenal right now. So it doesn't seem like he's going to be going anywhere. But um, we'll see. I'm personally not someone who thinks that Arsenal desperately need another backup right back. I think um, the most important play, uh, areas that the squad Arsenal have to strengthen this summer are obviously centre forward and central midfield. Interesting. I was writing a piece today. Uh, I think it's going out a little bit later on this afternoon, looking at kind of the position that Granite Xhaka is taking up and whether or not we're seeing these links to players like Fabian Ruiz and Yuri Tillemans, but actually looking at what Pep Guardiola has done with his 4-3, 4-3-3 and using Bernardo Silva in that role alongside Kevin De Bruyne and how you can get kind of maximising the, uh, the attacking potential at your team whether Arsenal could perhaps look at a stylistic change to that central midfield, left central midfield, uh, midfield position that sees Partey, yes, has to do a lot more defensively and has a lot more responsibility in that sense in certain games, but having more variety in the players available to you. I'm also interested to see how Sambi Lukonga plays in that Xhaka role in the future and if that's something, because he was always describing himself as more of an eight than a six, yeah. and that kind of role lends itself more so to the eight kind of stylistically. So that will be intriguing. And we've got a few games coming up in quick succession. So maybe they're going to need to be some rotation and perhaps the Conga will get his chance during that frantic three games in seven days that was madly put together by the, the fixture computer. Oh, I say the fixture computer, the people behind the scenes. Um, Social says, what, are, what one free signing would you go and get? Signed pre-contract if they're abroad, that is, of course. 
Yeah, I mean, what I often do is with this is I go on to transfer marks and go on yeah. to see whose contracts are expiring. And this is how I talk and type at the same time, quickly getting up the website and vamping a little oh, bit. Right. But we know that there are a number of players whose contracts are expiring, like the big ones, Killian Mbappe, of course, Paul Pogba. He'd be good. Uh, He'd be good. Yeah, yeah so let's sign him. That's He'll our choice. Play for him in the team. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely uh, Marcelo Brozovic is a very decent player Inter, but I think he's going to be signing a new deal with them very soon as Maya Dembele from Barcelona as well Andrea Bellotti at Torino I have a feeling that he may be going uh, to Milan I think I heard right. a, a rumour about that uh, Bubakar Kamara at Marseille very interesting central midfielder who can play at centre-back Matthias Ginter centre-back at Gladbach James Tarkovsky at Burnley I suggested him before and people kind of went a bit crazy about that but was, in terms of depth like Premier League experience, and we're lacking kind of those experienced players. I thought you might, you see, you're laughing, but like, <laughs> I thought that maybe you had a little bit of experience. I know that he's not got the, the maybe the traits that we're necessarily looking for, but when you've lost so many of those experienced figures, yeah. it's good to have players like that in the dressing room. Maybe Go on, murder me for it. Go on. Maybe my <laughs> with it is that I think Arsenal aren't really a stylistic similar team to, to Burnley, yeah, and I think, yes. There's there's teams in the past. If you look at Man United's transfer policy, um, players like signing like an Aaron Wan-Bissaka, I think that's kind mm. of an equivalent transfer where a player's done really well at a team lower in the league. It doesn't mean that it will transfer to a bigger team. And you look at Wan-Bissaka, his shortcomings have really been exposed at Man United. If Tarkovsky were to come to a team like Arsenal, where you ask the defenders to defend in a lot more exposed fashion, a lot more one-on-one, to come out mm. with the ball more, to play more. I think he'd really struggle. I think Tarkovsky, I was thinking about this myself, that I think he'd be a really good signing for a team like West Ham. If yeah. they can get it, that would be a fantastic fit. Unfortunately, though, uh, the Emirates is, is a no for me. But I, I've, I've been scrolling through the free transfers myself and just sort of having a, a little... Masrawi's one that stands out to me. Masrawi would be right good. I, I agree. I think that's a that's a potentially good one. Um, Sula's gone, hasn't he? He's gone to Dortmund. Mm-hmm. Dortmund, yeah. I don't know. Um, into Liso at Bayern Munich. His contract's up in the summer. Yeah, injury prone. Maybe Frank Kessier, if you're looking at that left-sided mm-hmm. central midfielder, but I'm not sure he's technically good enough. So plenty of plenty of good players out there on freeze this summer. I think Arteta's spoken about this as well, how it's becoming a little bit more common that we get um, free mm. sort of transfers being a thing just because I don't think clubs are willing to to match players' exorbitant uh, wage demands on top of transfer fees. So we're seeing a lot of clubs quite willing to wait and a lot of players quite willing to to hold out to secure themselves bigger moves. So I think that is the way football is heading. And I think we're going to have to get used to seeing a lot more big names on the uh, on the free transfer list in summers going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think that when you look at what's opportunistically out there for Arsenal, the players that are going to take them forwards are probably going to be ones that we're going to pay a transfer fee for. That's pretty much a given. But yeah. we're seeing with Barcelona, you can be opportunistic. Like Adama uh, Traore, they're going to get on a loan, which they then got an option for, but they signed players like Memphis Depay. They got Emerson, a very low price, because they had that agreement with Real Betis, of course. Uh, Sergio Aguero, they're going for free. Eric Garcia from Manchester City as well. They'll be looking at trying to get um, Kylian Mbappe, and, and so will Real Madrid, who's, who would be moving on a free, although you know, there'd be quite a high signing-on bonus, I imagine, whoever gets hold of him. So... It's this marker that is gradually getting that way. And I remember, I think, I don't know if you mentioned it, but Arsene Wenger, of course, famously said that, you know, player power and players getting towards the end of their contract is going to be happening a lot more and more and more. So, yeah, it's, it's something that we need to watch out for. Um, 
Let's go to another question from the chat box, uh, scrolling up to see which ones that we've missed. Uh, Vladimir says, is Tammy Abraham a potential target if Roma don't qualify for Europe? He seems to fit the bill perfectly. We were linked to him quite heavily in the summer as well. Yeah, Tammy Abraham was a target in the summer. Um, I think the the thing was for Arsenal, they needed to get players out in the centre-forward mm. department before they could look to bring players in. We also can't underestimate how many players um, Arsenal did bring in in the summer, and I think they were wary of bringing in too many all at once. So mm. obviously they, they made the the six major transfers. I know you said five, and then I forgot about Nuno Tavares, but the, the six major mm. transfers that we all saw in the summer and the, the massive overhaul, so I, I think making it seven would have been a bit too much. Obviously, you have to remember at the start of the season, there was also Eddie, Balogun, um, Aubameyang, Lacazette were all still around the squad and Martinelli yeah. too. So Abraham probably wasn't uh, one that could be done last summer. Maybe you're looking at it again this summer, but Roma did spend a lot of money in bringing him in from Chelsea. They spent 40 million and he's on a long-term contract. So I think if he's going to come to Arsenal, you're looking at uh, a long way north of, of 40 million for him, which I don't think is something Arsenal would be willing to do if they can get someone else out there uh, for a little bit less, I think. Although he is scoring lots of goals, he scored 20 goals this season for uh, Roma. My, my issue with Abraham is if you're bringing in a guy of that height, I think I'd want him to be a bit better in the air than Tammy is. And I think Tammy doesn't quite use his area ability as much as he probably could do. So I think for a similar price, uh, there are players out there, sorry, who can uh, provide Arsenal with a bit more of a threat to take advantage of their, their crossing ability. So good, but not for me personally. Fair enough. Uh, I, I think that he's a player that could add a lot as maybe the the second striker. Um, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. look at him as kind of the the priority forwards. I, I look at kind of players like Patrick Schick certainly is, is catching my attention. A lot of the time I like his characteristics, like his physicality, his, his goal threat. I mean, the second highest Bundesliga score behind Lewandowski at the moment. So, And that, that's no mean feat. So when I look at the players that are out there, and who's going to be available and the, the stylistic kind of approach that Mikel Arteta wants from a striker, he kind of fits, I think, a lot of what we saw in the link to Vlaovic, for instance, as, as a possible option with that physical, but yet not slow and has got a lot of power to their game as well. Um, interesting question I saw from Morgie who says, our defence seemed to have a major attack of the jitters. Do you think the realisation of what we can achieve is creating panic stations under pressure? Do you think a sports psychologist could help? I think that's a really good question. Um the Arsenal squad, which I think is remarkable about them, given how young they are, seem to have coped with high-pressure situations relatively well this season. I would mm. sort of caveat that with, obviously, the the collapse at Anfield. But aside from that, they, they've coped pretty well with difficult um, situations. So I don't personally think the pressure is getting on top of them um, with the top four. I think it was just a case, and Arteta said this after the game, that they took it for granted that they were going to win. I think when they went one nil up, maybe they just assumed they were going to go two, three, four because of where Watford are in the season and the table, sorry, and how well uh, they're playing at the minute. And then when they went three, one up Arsenal, it seemed to me sort of like they relaxed a little bit and they sort of put the, put the sunglasses on, got the cigars out and relaxed a bit mm. too much, started looking at fours and fives and that didn't quite work for me. So I think personally, I'm, I'm planning on doing a little bit more investigation into this uh, later in the week for a piece as to sort of whether it's a, a long-term trend or whether it was a one-off. But mm. I don't think um, the pressure of the situation necessarily got to them. I think it was just a case of them taking their eye off the ball and having had that scare and gotten away with it, I'm hoping that they'll they'll be able to get back on track against Leicester next week. 
Yeah, that's the thing is you need a bit of luck sometimes and teams need to be reminded that it's not going to be handed to us, this top four, and that these teams like Watford, that yeah, there's an expectation that we should be beating them, are going to challenge us. They took points off Manchester United only a week ago and we need to be wary of that and know that they can be a threat. So it's important that the Arsenal make sure that we we don't get that kind of arrogant feel about Arsenal that we've had in the past where there's kind of a bit of entitlement about games that you go into it thinking you're going to win and then all of a sudden you're, you're shocked by the talent that's on the opposition's team. Um, scrolling up a little bit more, uh, Peter says, what are your thoughts on Arsenal going back in for Locatelli? Arsenal may be in the Champions League while Juve may miss out. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to steal some talent from Juventus just to get one over them at this stage, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think we did them a dud when we gave them Aaron Ramsey. So I think maybe they're still paying us back <laughs> for that. But um, Locatelli, yeah, a good player. Uh, if you're looking at that left-sided sort of eight, I think he could work quite nicely mm. in terms of technical ability on the ball. A little bit more mobile than Granite Jacker. Decent defensively. Very good partial of the ball, obviously. And could potentially, if something happens to Thomas Barty, fill in at that six role as well. That said, I can't see why Juve are going to let him go. Mm. Even if they are outside the Champions League, I think it would take a lot of money. And I think there are cheaper alternatives out there for Arsenal. And also, on top of that, Italian players don't seem to want to leave uh, Serie A that much. I, I can't think of too many Italians who have really succeeded in the Premier League. I'm thinking of Gianfranco Zola. Uh, can you Jorginho. think of Coutinho? Yeah, okay. Beyond that, was Aquilani at Liverpool a few years ago. Arsenal yeah, had Viviano, Viviano. Like, there's not many. No. Exactly. So I, it just doesn't seem to happen too much. I'm not really sure why. It's it's one of those quirks. It's like English players not really moving abroad mm. that much until recently. So it doesn't seem to happen. So I don't know. Uh, we'd, we'd have to see with Locatelli. I, I personally don't think um, that's going to happen, though, unfortunately, Peter. Italian managers having a lot better of a time in the Premier League than, than the players. Yeah. Di Matteo says uh, Dean in the chat as well. Yeah, um, that, yeah. Uh, I'm sure that Watford had a, had a couple of Italian players. Like when they came up and they had Materazzi in charge, I'm sure that they, they brought a couple in. Whether or not they did all right is is a very okay. different matter. But yeah, you're right. Look, you, you find that with German Italian, players as well. Say again. Stefano Akaka uh, was Italian. Mm, yes, of course. Um, yeah, Balotelli. I mean, Balotelli, yeah, obviously. Uh, it was interesting to see kind of uh, the the progression of certain nationalities into the Premier League. And, and you notice that with Italian players, German players have it as well. They tend to stay in the Bundesliga. Less, like, obviously, Italians less so than the German League. You see a lot of German players move more so than Italians, but it's not as common. Spanish players, French players are more than happy, seemingly, to kind of like broaden their horizons and go out into other leagues Portuguese talents of course I don't know if that's a reflection on, on maybe the leagues or the talent production or the connection between the clubs in England and, and those specific leagues more so than Italy and Germany and maybe the Italian and German clubs are less keen on seeing those kind of homegrown talents leave and so they try to keep them within house or or what? But it's an interesting trend that you don't tend to see those Italian and German players anywhere near as much as you do French, Portuguese and Spanish talents yeah, I, I, it's, it's interesting. I think with the French league, it's definitely a case of the lower quality of the league. The Spanish one's mm. a little bit more difficult to, to analyse. I guess a lot of the good Spanish players do go to Barcelona and Real Madrid, but Spain have such a surplus of excellent players that sort of those who yeah. don't go to the big two, there are sort of plenty of teams around the world that would definitely take them off their hands. And now that Barcelona and Real Madrid aren't quite the, and Atletico as well, we should throw in there, aren't quite sort of the European powerhouses that they used to be, I think there's a lot more scope for teams in England sort of 
nabbing them away but you sort of you have to get it right to make sure you get sort of i don't know uh, a david silver rather than a dennis suarez or something like that absolutely uh, last question uh from pinny ween uh, who says that was a really good question about how the players are handling pressure so should arsenal go for more experienced players in the summer rather than bringing in more youth I'm thinking about James it. Tarkovsky, anyone? Anyone? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's that one England cat that's going to make all the difference. Uh, I have been thinking about this, and I think I think that is a fair question. And I, I'm, I'm comparing Arsenal's project that they're doing under Mikel Arteta to Liverpool's project because it seems to be the comparison that's, that's brought up all the time, even though the two teams do play very different styles. And Liverpool, they sign players early on, at least, in that sort of 24 25 bracket but they weren't afraid but, to yeah. go out yet experienced players to supplement that you think of mm. um more recently joel matip. joel matip uh tiago came in relatively sort of older so i think for Mikel arteta and for edu i think maybe they've they've moved on from the sort of the players have to be um 24 and under sort of strategy We'll see. I, personally, I, I, I don't necessarily think Arsenal are in desperate need of experience because the interesting thing about the young players Arsenal did sign is that they all had experience under their belt, except for Nuno Tavares. Aaron Ramsdale had played two seasons of Premier League football. Martin Hedegaard had been playing since he was 16. Ben White, uh, two seasons of first-team football. Uh, Sambi Lakonga, a regular with Anderlecht for years, captaining them as well. Players like that, Tommy Asu, a regular in the Serie A. So there are players with plenty of experience out there. Who have gone through a lot the question i think maybe uh penguins asking is sort of when it comes to bridging that gap to champions league and elite level do you need more experience there personally i think yeah that could be that could be a welcome addition to this arsenal side i don't quite know which positions you look to add it in maybe central midfield that could be somewhere where Arsenal have scope to, to add that but Mikel Arteta seems to like working with with younger players, and um, we'll have to wait and see on that one. I think that is a good question. It's it's a it's a tricky balance to strike. I personally, I'm not 100 percent sure where I stand on it. I think Arsenal's squad is so nicely balanced now that yeah, they probably could afford to bring in maybe one or two more experienced faces. I think the word experience sometimes gets it's a word that can be overused at times in the world of football because experience I look at Martin Erdogan even though he's 23 and go that's an experienced player he's been playing yeah. in the senior league since he was 16 17 years of age and he's got that amount of experience Yuri Tillemans has been playing at senior level for about eight years at this point as well um, so you can be in your early 20s and be an experienced player. And I think that Mikel Arteta even spoke about that when he was kind of describing the type of striker that he wanted to sign in the summer is they need to have experience, but they need to be of the right age profile at the same time. And and that's going to be really important for who we do go for. And, and maybe someone like Patrick Schicker, who I've mentioned, who's played in Serie A, played in the Bundesliga, played at an international level at European tournaments and, and done well that type of experience is going to be valuable. But yeah, you're right. You look at Liverpool, the players they sign, the age brackets, Luis Diaz is just coming in 25 years of age to, to kind of take on that mould. Diogo Jota as well, of course. So they're not signing players in their early 20s necessarily. They're bringing in those players to, to improve those positions who are already in their mid-20s and going to be going straight into playing in their best years because they can afford to do that. And they need that to keep them going and to replace the likes of Salah and Mane who are reaching 
the latter stages of their prime, not their careers, but just that prime years that they're going through. Um, we're going to wrap things up there. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. If you have enjoyed it, and even if you haven't, do drop a like on the video and subscribe to the Arsenal way and help us get up to 10K, hopefully now, before the end of the month. We used to target before the end of the season, but it's going so well, we're hoping to get to that 10K before the end of March. So thank you so much for the continued support. Kaya, thank you so much, mate, as always. Really appreciate your time. Tell people where they can find you and what you're going to be up to. My pleasure. Um, on at Kaya Karnak 97 on Twitter, Kaya Karnak journalist on Facebook. And yeah, what am I working on? I've got a piece on Erdegaard and what's changed about him recently mm. in terms of, we spoke earlier about that sort of transition from being a player who was a little bit out of the team to one who's obviously now undroppable. So what's changed there is something I'm going to be looking at. And also, as I hinted at a little bit before, the uh, defence, is that sort of a one-off or is that a worrying trend that Arsenal need to to be a bit more concerned about so yeah you can be you'll, be you'll be able to find that all on the football.london website so keep an eye out for it there lovely stuff yes please do go make sure you're keeping up so all of our written work over at football.london you can find Kaya on twitter at kaya at 97 you can find myself at tom canton media and the arsenal way at the arsenal way n5 and of course on facebook as well we will see you again tomorrow morning for the next arsenal agenda show i'll be joined uh by assume by bailey again so make sure you do join us then and uh yeah make it part of your morning routines we'll see you again very very soon and as always keep following us down the arsenal way